0: All right, we're continuing our series on the resurrection power, and today I want to talk about what it means to look for the resurrection power in our life as we work our way through life. And our text today is Romans chapter 8, or at least a portion of Romans chapter 8. J.I. Packer said that he regarded Romans chapter 8 as the mountaintop of the whole Bible. And uh, if you like to climb mountains, if you've ever climbed a mountain before, one of the things that happens is you get to the top of a big mountain and you can look all around 360 degrees and maybe identify rivers or streams or towns or cities or roads that are far off or other mountains. And you can just spend a lot of time looking at all of those things. Well, today... We're going to go to the mountaintop but i'm just going to share with you a snapshot from romans chapter 8 and i hope this might inspire some of you to go back to romans chapter 8 to see what else you might see in this passage about how the resurrection power can change everything in our lives romans chapter 8 starting with verse 16 says the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are god's children Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we might also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In order that, as the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. And now we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. And not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we are saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This is God's word for God's children this morning. Let's pray. Father, I pray now that as we look at your word, you would do something in us, and we would see past the words on a page, see past or hear past the words of a man, and have an encounter with you that we might know the power of the resurrection and how that addresses even the suffering and the challenges we face right here and right now through our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Now, one of the benefits of modern life is that we're all, we've all experienced a lot of progress and a lot of help because because of the knowledge, the insights, and the technology that that has gone before us. It solved many of the problems, even in the last hundred years, many of the problems that humans have lived with for centuries and centuries and centuries have been solved by the progress of the modern world. It's extended life, it's extended comfort, it's made our lives more predictable in ways that our predecessors couldn't have comprehended. But one of the challenges is that along the way, we've lost our ability to cope. We've lost our ability to cope with problems that we can't find an easy solution to. We've lost our ability to cope with medical issues that we don't have a ready cure for. We've lost our ability to endure when things start to get difficult or to accept when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances that can't be readily fixed or can't be easily changed. We want to expect that every issue can be resolved and sometimes we find, even in our modern world, that some issues simply can't easily be changed. And this is currently being demonstrated by the existential crisis that we're all living through, that everyone in the world is living through with this global pandemic. We find ourselves facing a problem that no financial or medical or scientific or technological solution can resolve for us. And so everything is falling apart. And it's impossible for any of us to plan for the next week or the next month, let alone the next year and know exactly how we're going to get through that. Now, throughout human history and throughout the frustrations of human history, one of the things that humans have used to manage the difficulties and the unmanageable circumstances we find ourselves in Has been our spirituality and even religion. In fact, most religion, you could say, was built to help us humans figure out how to manage manage difficulty and how to manage the hardship that we find ourselves in. The starkest example of this to me is Buddhism. You know, Buddhism is built around four noble truths. And the first noble truth is that life is suffering. And the rest of Buddhism shows us a path to deal with it. Now, Christianity offers an alternative vision, an alternative practice for how to work through the challenge of suffering. Christianity, like Buddhism, unlike most forms of uh, religion or spirituality, recognizes the reality of the suffering in this world. But Christianity, the Bible tells us that this is not the way the world is supposed to be. And what the Christian faith does is it gives us hope because through resurrection power, specifically through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead 2,000 years ago, we have a reason for having hope in the midst of the struggles and the difficulties and the hardship that we face right now. First thing I wanna show you here is the realism that Romans 8, this lofty chapter has, the realism that the Bible has about the struggle that we face. In our experience, everything is broken. Paul writes here in Romans chapter eight that the world is subject to frustration, verse 20, that the world's in bondage to decay, verse 21, and that the whole creation is groaning right now, verse 22. Now, I can't think of a better picture or a better description of of what it feels like we're all going through in this difficult time, subject to frustration and bondage to decay and a whole creation that groans under the weight of the pandemic that we're, con- we're continually, that we're currently working our way through. This is a picture of what human life is like. Hardship is one of the constants in life as we know it. And what the Bible says is there's two aspects to this. this. This hardship comes from the fact that we live in a fallen world, but there's two aspects to the fallenness. One is the fact that our fallen world our world is morally fallen, that we live in a world where people lie, where people cheat, where people steal, where people murder, where people abuse, where people abandon, and where we can't trust a lot of people. And sometimes we get taken advantage of and we get hurt by people. And that, that reality points to the moral brokenness of this world. We live in a morally broken world. But there's another side to it. So much of human suffering, so much of the struggle and the suffering that all of us go through on a regular basis isn't isn't the result of people's sin, isn't the result of strictly moral brokenness or moral failure. It's the result of living in a broken world. Why do kids get cancer? Why do hurricanes and earthquakes devastate whole human communities? Why do global pandemics paralyze life on earth as we know it. Not necessarily because someone did something morally wrong, though none of us are perfect. These things happen, and these things are devastating because we live in a broken world. We live in a creation that's been cursed or been afflicted by the extended consequences of the fall, of the sin, of the corruption that is all around us. And so all of human progress is the effort and the struggle to reverse the reality of this brokenness, to redeem this brokenness and to solve this brokenness. And to the credit of humanity and to the credit of of modern people, we've addressed a lot of these issues. We've developed a system of relatively just laws that, that, meets out crime and punishment in a relatively just way. We've got doctors and technology that fight illness and fight a lot of the things that afflict a lot of us in this world. We've got farmers who've made food abundant in our world. We've got police officers and firefighters who protect us from the worst aspects of life in this world. We've got plumbers who Maintain indoor plumbing and hot and cold running water and sanitation for us and all of these things combined to make life as we know it pretty good for a lot of us most of the time and certainly a vast improvement on what a lot of people ex- experienced over the history of the world. But, and, and everybody is working to redeem and restore creation in their own way and yet we bump up against the limits of our own efforts all of the time. Even with the progress, even with the prosperity, even with the great minds, even with the better angels of our human nature, we still groan. We still find ourselves struggling in bondage to decay, and we still endure the frustration of life in this world, As we know it. But here's the unique thing about the Christian perspective. Sure, we want to take advantage of technology. Sure, we want to take advantage of progress. Sure, we want to take advantage of prosperity. But we recognize that the ultimate solution for the problems in this world are not something that money can buy, not something that humans can invent, not something that's going to be invented in a lab somewhere. But the ultimate solution, what you and I most desperately need, is something that God has to provide. And that's what Jesus came to offer. And so we have an expectation, we have a hope against hope, even in the midst of a global pandemic, that one day everything will be made right. Romans 8.21 puts it this way: the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and will be brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. The ultimate restoration is going to come through Jesus Christ. And and the ultimate restoration is going to come through Jesus Christ working in the glory and the freedom of the children of God. The brothers and sisters of Christ, that's everybody who believes in him and puts their faith in him, all of us are central to God's plan to redeem this world and to set free, to liberate this world from its groaning, to liberate this world from its bondage to decay, and to give it the freedom to become what God created it it to be. Now, this was accomplished, or this was initiated through the work of Jesus himself. One of the things that's unique about the Christian faith is we don't have a God who sits separate from creation and just sends things down, but we have, in Christianity, we have a God who's entered into this creation, who became a part of this creation and even endured the frustration and the struggle and the pain and the and the difficulties of life on this earth. He endured those things so that he could redeem us from them. Christians celebrate Christmas and what are we celebrating on Christmas? We're celebrating the hope and the fact that Jesus on the first Christmas 2,000 years ago became one of us, the incarnation, the word became flesh and made its dwelling among us because God became a part of our creation. And then, and Christians celebrate Good Friday. What do we celebrate in Good Friday? We celebrate the fact that God in his, in his, in his confusing and awful plan dictated that his son would bear the sins of the world and would enter into the groaning and the bondage that all of us experience. And Christians celebrate Easter. What do we celebrate in Easter? We celebrate Jesus rising again from the dead, conquering death, not just so that he could live forever, but so that we can live forever. And not just And and not just to conquer death, but to begin the restoration of all things. The resurrection shows God's commitment to humanity, to the redemption of our bodies, and to the redemption of all of creation. Verse 17 puts it this way, we share in his sufferings now, and one day we will share in his glory. Just as Jesus went through his suffering and then went on to glory through the resurrection, we who are suffering now, we who are groaning and are burdened now in this broken world have hope that one day we will experience his glory. This is the firm hope of believers. This is what we look forward to. Our expectation is that even in this broken world, we can have hope because ultimately all will be made right. And that's what we are waiting patiently for. That's the vision that the New Testament gives us. A little later in Romans eight, he says, we wait for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. In this hope we are saved, but no hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I've mentioned that verse a couple times in the last few weeks because this verse is the quintessential definition of Christian hope. Hope doesn't mean we already have everything we hope for. It means we're waiting patiently for what we know God is going to provide for us soon. And so that's the Christian expectation that ultimately God is going to restore all things, the Christian experience is that we're groaning. The Christian expectation is that we're looking forward to the restoration of all things. But now I wanna talk about what's the effort that is asked of us in the meantime? How do we contribute to the work toward the restoration of all things? And I think in this, to answer this question, we we should look at, we should study, we should reflect on the life of Jesus, on Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. And one of the things that the life of Jesus makes clear is that Jesus, from the very beginning, was very self-conscious that his ultimate purpose and his final purpose was to go to the cross, to suffer, to die, and then to rise again. But in the meantime, he didn't just sit around and say, you know, nothing else matters, because the only thing that matters is that I die on the cross for sin, and then that I rise again from the dead. He didn't say that. He didn't think that. What you saw through the course of Jesus' life is he was active in demonstrating the power of the cross. He was active in demonstrating the power of the kingdom. He was active in giving people pictures of what that new kingdom would look like. That's why he fed people who were hungry and had compassion on people who were hungry. That's why he brought wine to a wedding when they had run out. He wanted to keep the party going. That's why he had compassion on a leper and was willing to touch him and say, be cleansed. That's why he brought his friend Lazarus back to, back to life when he had died and been buried. And he, and he gave him new life because everywhere Jesus went and everything he did, he was showing people pictures of what the restoration will look like of what the redemption of all things will look like. That's why Jesus was a teacher. That's why Jesus in every conversation gave pictures of what uh, gave gave word pictures and parables that were pictures of what the kingdom of heaven would ultimately look like because he wanted to make clear to people what it is they should expect and what it is they were waiting for. So as we follow Jesus, as we're believers in, in Jesus, we put our ultimate hope that one day in the future, he's going to restore all things. He's going to redeem all things. He's going to bring heaven to earth. But until then, today, we can join with God in advancing his heaven, in advancing the kingdom of heaven any way we can. We can pray as Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then we can work as Jesus showed us to work, to bring heaven to earth, believing that through our efforts, through our small efforts, through our limited efforts, through our partial efforts, and through our sacrifices, and through our giving, he is gonna work through us in profound ways to bring his kingdom. So as we work to teach, as we work to befriend people, as we work to help people be healed, as we work to build people up, as we work to restore, as we work to create beauty, as we work to create justice, as we work to proclaim truth, as we work to point people to Jesus. And all of these things, we are joining God in the restoration of all things. And the remarkable thing is that the Bible teaches that all of our efforts that are done in his name, all of our efforts that are done on Jesus' behalf, even if They seem small in the grand picture of the problems of this world, even if they seem trivial relative to the challenges that are faced by people all around us. All of those things will find their way into the new heavens and the new earth. All of those things will be a part of the redeemed creation in ways we can't even imagine. Even the small thing of showing hospitality to someone I like the way Jesus puts this in Luke 14, and I think that this gives us a paradigm for how how he wants us to see our life and our ministry. He says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, I tell you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." See what Jesus is saying there? Even the small gesture of inviting someone into your house for lunch, befriending someone who is lonely, feeding someone who's having trouble making ends meet, paying attention to someone who everybody else ignores and taking an interest in someone who has nothing to offer you even that small effort even that seemingly inconsequential gesture is going to find its way somehow into the new heavens and the new earth into the restoration of all things and it will be reflected at the, re- at the resurrection of the righteous see as we engage the loss and the brokenness, and the need of those around us, as we share his hope and his grace, as we sacrifice and as we serve, all of those works, in all of those works, we're joining God in the restoration of all things. And those works, the Bible tells us, will live forever in ways we can only imagine right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to look for resurrection power everywhere we go and in everything we do. Help us to be people of hope even when our circumstance seems hopeless. Help us to be people who are faithful even when it seems like nothing matters. And help us to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to join him in the restoration of all things. Thank you for all the gifts you've given us. Thank you for the opportunities you've given us. Help us to use all of those to point people to your glory and grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.